0: 11 minutes it is after 8 p.m it's our thought leader thursday segment and uh, this evening uh, we have uh, dr simone peters uh, who's a postdoctoral fellow on the aw mellon funded research project the first thousand days of life and uh, based out at the anthropology department at uct but this evening we talked to her about uh, her phd work which looked at the ways in which colored bodies make sense of their gendered and racialized experiences and how they construct their identity and a sense of community in post-apartheid South Africa. And uh, Dr. Simone Peters joins me now on the line. Dr. Peters, good evening and welcome. Thank you so much for
1: having me tonight.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for coming through. Maybe, uh, Dr. Peters, I want us to uh, just, I guess, start before we get to the background of some of your work, Uh, but just uh, a brief autobiographical sketch around some of your background. Uh, so you grew up in Cape Town um, and uh, I guess that informs much of your own intellectual curiosities and some of this work as well.
1: No, no, it definitely does. And so growing up in Bishop Lavers has has obviously sort of uh, led to the research that I've done and my own experiences of being a coloured body um, in Cape Town and my own experiences of being stereotyped and being put into a specific box, um, being a colored from the Cape um has really informed the work that I've done and I've gone on to look at diverse experiences of black masculinities because that's my interest or focus. I've looked at for my honest project looking at marginalized uh, men who were gay and looking at bisexual um, and lesbian women and men and then for my master's looking at black sex workers in, in Cape Town and then for my PhD, eventually, then looking at um, coloured bodies and how they make sense of, of their racial identities in the world, and mm. really just what stereotypes has done to um, black men. For my PhD, I specifically looked at, at coloured identities because I identify as coloured, and so it was a sure. racial identity that I really wanted to explore because in my masters my colored identity was questioned. And so um, Mm. it was something that I really wanted to explore. What makes one a colored? And then looking at colored masculinities, because obviously looking at men in general is an interest of mine. And so it's really just been a a accumulation of my own experiences um, Mm. and my research interest that led to the work that I've done for my PhD.
0: Sure, sure. Just talk to me, I guess, briefly, um, you know, about some of that work in the PhD insofar as I guess the objective conditions of colonialism apartheid and and how those sort of visited certain forms of displacement um, to uh, you know communities that self identify as colored uh, and how that has shaped in many ways some of the things that you look at I mean uh, you know how people form their identity how people form a sense of community Mm -hmm. um, and and maybe also how some of those stereotypes are formed as well
1: Mm -mm -mm. So for this PhD I I have so I use sort of decolonial approaches and so looking at the consequences of apartheid and looking at the consequences of coloniality was important for this thesis and it just sort of anchored the work. And so when we look at the Group Areas Act and we look at the population as you know, these are really where racial classification such as the colored was sort of, you know, um put into public discourse. Um and mm. so with the group areas, as we know, that area such as the Cape Flats was created. And so specific bodies um, that were racialized as, as colored were put into those um, those places. And so Bishop Labus, which is the specific area I looked at, um, was an area that, you know, most of the people were displaced from Gurud Akka. So people like my grandmother, who had big homes, you know, had dining water, had their toilets, inside their homes were now sort of displaced and were told you know you they were forcibly removed and told you need to leave or out and so they get moved to places such as your bishop levis your lavender hills your hanover parks and they really go into places that are so different from their own communities i mean when people talk about district six even when the bishop levis residents spoke about Guru Akas and telling me about you know being surrounded by white neighbors and black neighbors and colored neighbors and just having the sense of um, community Um, and now that being taken away from them and now having to live in places I mean Bishop Labus was called ghost town because it was dark there was no electricity people's toilets were outside there was no running water no electricity and so uh, the apartheid they just literally put these people into these dumps Um, and people now have to make these places their homes and just looking at the resilience of the community in terms of how they, you know, built up this community and how they structured this and built the schools and put in the, the medical facilities um, despite all of the, the, the challenges that were thrown at them because there was a lack of resources given to them by the mm. apartheid government um, because we know in the time that white people were sort of, you know, on the, on the hierarchy. Um, and so... When we think of sort of you know stereotypes and and the coloured community itself, um, lots of the stereotypes. I mean, the one that coloured people are drunkards and alcoholics. There is a long history in a colonial period and an apartheid system where coloured people, especially the farm the farmers, were fed um, alcohol or paid in alcohol, known as the dope mm. system. And you mm. know, so there's there's a long colonial history, and these people became dependent on alcohol. And so now we find communities that are infiltrated with alcohol. And then mm. we just sort of blame these on these communities instead of looking at it's a legacy, sure, um, sure. you know, that, they, that they've that they inherited. And it's a legacy that is very difficult to get out of. Um, when mm. we think of, you know, such um, narratives of them being lazy and them, their languages such as cops being, you know, spoken of in, in sort of the language of the stupid and it's not real Afrikaans, those come from colonial and and apartheid
0: stereotypes, ah. where you know, and just yeah, I mean, just on, on the issue of language, I, I find it yes. quite sort of ironic that uh, a certain class and layer within the white Africana elite would co-opt what is in essence a black language um, and give it some veneer of you know institutions and resourcing and whatever, mm-hmm. and then end up ghettoizing the self-same people who have given rise to that language and continue to speak it in ways of their own doing. I find that so unsettling. I mean, if we just think about the history of Afrikaans and the role that, you know, black uh, communities that self-identify as colored have played in the historical development of that language, I think it's quite sad.
1: No, no, definitely, definitely. And I mean, like you said, you know, um, the language being created as a a language of resistance and how Mm. um, colored people had, you know, when they spoke up, they would have their teeth knocked out. A tradition that made fun of was coloured people with their teeth being knocked out. But if we look at at sort of the legacy of of that teeth being knocked out, lots of mm-hmm. um, lots of slaves when they spoke, cup, their teeth would get knocked out because it was that you were defying your master, um, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when people spoke that language, it was a, it was a language of resilience and of resistance and speaking back and saying we are not going to talk this language, but we are, we've we made this language that has been a multi mixual language from this nation. And so it is very sad and unfair and ironic that Caps then gets seen as the lesser um, Afrikaans, you know, that when you speak Caps, you get judged. Um, for somebody who is you, you assume to come from a poor neighborhood, you assume yes. to not be intellectual mm-hmm. because you can't speak savor Afrikaans and yet Afrikaans come from, um, you know, colored bodies. Mm, um, mm. So that it, it is the politics of language itself is, is very yeah. interesting in post-apartheid South Africa because mm. we still see that stereotype of people who speak Caps. And I mean, there's a lot being done yeah. now by, you know, um, sure. bodies such as like Cup and Mark Lottery. And recently there's mm. a dictionary um, that was put out by a, a, a scholar in UWC uh, for Caps. Um, and so there is a narrative, like people are changing the narrative, but it mm-hmm. doesn't take away from, if you're going to an interview um, with an Afrikaans boss and you speak up, you're still going to be looked down upon. And and sure. that's quite sure. sad, um, you know, in, in the post-apartheid yeah. South Africa today, that's supposed to be embracing, um, you know, our different nationalities and our mm. different identities.
0: Yeah. Dr. Simone, I want us to maybe pause there, because I think that last comment you're making there, I want us to pause and take a quick spot break. Uh, but that comment you make there, I guess, um, you know, uh, really asks real questions about the substantive features of uh, this whole idea of this unity and diversity and, um, I guess, the unresolved national questions uh, in South Africa. So I want us to pause here for a second. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, uh, let's touch on, I guess, the interface between uh, the workplace and the home in the formulation of some of these identities and uh, I guess the role of waged employment uh, in that. And uh, we'll return to that theme after this break. 23 minutes it is uh, after 8 p.m it's our thought leader thursday segment and this evening my guest is dr simone peters a researcher and a phd graduate at the university of cape town and uh, we speak to her this evening about some of uh, her work uh, in uh, the uh, world of uh, black masculinities intersectionality and uh, of course uh, decoloniality as well and uh, we talk about a phd work uh, which looks at the construction of uh, certain uh, notions and senses of community and identity uh, in communities that self-identify as coloured. And I guess, you know, Dr. Peters, one of the issues that many social scientists speaks about, um, at least of all here in South Africa, is the idea of employment as a marker of social citizenship. So the sense that, you know, especially for for men, uh, across the different, you know, national categories or or race uh, categories, Of having work and that being a critical mark of one's value, a critical mark of one's social citizenship. And even that, of course, comes out of a very particular experience where, you know, if you weren't employed in some shape or form, you were either seen as a vagrant or you weren't, you know, seen as somebody who was deserving of being in the urban core. No, no, no,
1: definitely. And, you know, in the work with men. Um, just understanding how important work is, um, you know, in terms of uh, gaining a respectability from your wife, your kids, your community, your family, because if you're able to work, you are able to bring in money and you are able to, you know, be seen as a breadwinner. And so lots of men just really emphasizing this need to work um, and being ostracized if you are not work, you're not working. And I mean, I remember one young man saying that his partner, so he had children and, you know, the, his, his, his baby mama, if one can call that for the lack of better word, um, how she would ostracize him continuously always asking, you telling him you worthless, are you never going to work, when you're going to find work. And so in the climate climate we find ourselves today where unemployment is so high, uh, you know, it really is a challenge for men to navigate um those 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 sort of terrains of get, gaining this respectability despite these these challenges and, and these circumstances and so just really finding creative ways to work which this meant ultimately told me, you know, going to entrepreneurship and, you know, starting small businesses, um, mm. to to get some capital in. Um and, and sadly, you know, it's stereotypes around their communities and their race has also Played a big part to these men not getting, um, you know, jobs um, in corporate worlds because of the way they speak or from where they come from. And I recall um, mm. one one person um, telling me, which which is which is from uh, another interview I had, and one caller called in from Mannheim, and he said, you know, that lots of these young men they want to work, they're willing to work, but the minute they tell the bosses that they're from Mannenberg and they are coloured then the chances of getting that job, you said, drops by like 30%. And young men Mm -hmm. from Bishop Labor said the same because there are these stereotypes that when you are colored and you're from the Cape Flats, you are criminal. And what is that going to do for the company? And so the work that I've done is really just challenging those types of thinking because you you are stereotyping people based on, on where they come from and based on their racial identity um, and, that, and those stereotypes are based in, in sort of, you know, apartheid and colonial thinking and media and mm. academia that has sort of perpetuated those stereotypes. And now it results in serious consequences for these men who are looking for employment um, to go and, you know, sustain their families and sustain their communities. Um, and so just really thinking about the dire consequences of of the work that we do, and the
0: narrative that we put out there. Mm. You know, I mean, just when, when you speak in that way, um, in many ways, you know, the overhang of apartheid and I guess the implications that that has had on uh, perceptions and notions and stereotypes frames the ability to participate and the terms on which that participation happens in the South African economy. Uh, for not just all black communities, but I guess we experience this in very particular ways. Um, And and, and I think, you know, for me, the question that emerges from that, uh, uh, Dr. Simone, is, you know, at a political level, how how do we grapple with this? Uh, Because, you know, the experiences might be unique, but they certainly do have some common threads um, that might help us to better understand how we create bonds of solidarity, politically and otherwise, Mm. across Mm. the different groupings of people that have been on the receiving end of this? Um, Mm. African communities, coloured communities, Indian communities, uh, you know, and uh, I guess many other markers of identification of Mm. subaltern communities in South Africa.
1: Mm. Look, well, you know, know, when you look at what's been happening in South Africa over the past couple of weeks, you know, we have seen so much racial tension. um, And so when we think about solidarity amongst the black communities, you know, it's something that is, something that one has to like really think about. How do we overcome, um, you know, that divide and conquer rule that, that was, that was put upon us? Because it's something that is so entrenched in our thinking and we, we hear it in, in, in the common language that people use, you know, that, that language of these people are like that and these people are like this and these people are like that. And so when we start to think about, you know, how do we come together and how do we create solidarity? Because like you said, you know, yes, our experiences are unique, but as a black community, we do experience um, similarities because it's not just colored people that get stereotyped. It's also our African black brothers and sisters and our Indian um, um, brothers and sisters that also get stereotyped. And so it, it starts with, you know, having critical conversations first within our own communities about how we look at other black people and um, how we talk about them and how we understand their experiences because I think there, mm. is, there is a lack of understanding and so we, we don't want to understand what it's like to be a color in South Africa. We don't want to understand what it's like to be a black African in South Africa. We don't want to understand. Um, and so if we're really going to get to a place of solidarity I think it starts with understanding, you know, where the other one is coming from, understanding mm. the complexity and understanding that we are not fighting each other. We are we are fighting systems that are pushing against us. We are fighting, you know, the stereotypes. We are fighting white supremacy. We are fighting capitalism. We are fighting those systems that are pushing against us. Um, and, and, and if we start to understand that, we will stop fighting amongst each other. Because I think that is what these people, back um, in I think I believe 1970s, uh, tried trying to do with black conscious movements. Um, you know, mm. as, as a way to speak about you know, as a black people, we are so much stronger when we unite um, instead of constantly being divided. Um,
0: yeah, and so and I, I guess think, it does yeah, weaken. Mm, it does weaken the wall of resistance if we think about it in that way. But I think the other question, Simone, that I, I mean, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, uh, on this particular score, uh, just as we wrap up, is uh, of course I guess the inverse of that, which is how do we deal with the intranational challenges between African, Indian and coloured communities? We're seeing what's happening out in Phoenix. Uh, you, you would no doubt be familiar with the historic challenges of African and, you know, coloured communities in the Western Cape as well. Mm. How, how do we resolve that as a, as a way towards building this emancipatory politics uh, of the oppressed here in South Africa?
1: Mm-mm. I think that is, that is a very challenging question to answer, you know, because um, it is one that I've, that I've been asked um, a lot of, and it's, and it's one that I've been grappling with myself because doing the research and listening how, you know, the one racial group talks about the other racial group and just listening to how some of the disturbing things that, that we say about other racial groups and thinking about, you know, how do we start from scratch because we've inherited these sort of apartheid thinking um, mm. about the other and it's very difficult to decolon because what needs to happen is a decol like we need to decolonize our minds that needs to happen first and foremost mm. um, because the apartheid system did a good job at telling you at first the othering the other and then telling so, you you know this person is out to get you they are taking this from you they're taking that from you and so we We've sort of internalized that and that's become our narrative about the other. And so there needs to be a mass of an awareness of how we think, firstly, and then decolonizing the way we think, and then, you know, crossing boundaries. Um, Because I think the apartheid sort of is, is still very much in place. You have white areas, you have colored areas, and then you have African black areas, and you have Indian areas, and very little, like we see very little crossovers. And so mm. there needs to really be more crossovers and, and conversations with you know, other racial groups so that we can learn to sort of understand where they're coming from. Um, and, and, and it's really that work um, of, of crossing boundaries which, which the apartheid state has essentially put in place the physical boundaries. So first, mm. you know, breaking down the physical barriers. Sure, uh, sure. But, but, you know, those physical barriers are only going to start when we decolonize our minds because lots of us are like, no, I'm not going to go into Kaya Lucha because that's only for them. I'm not going to go to the K-plus because that's only. Mm. So once we stop doing that and we, and we physically, you know, go through boundaries, I think that is one way um, that we can, you know, um, change things. But again, you know, that's, that's just from my sort of perspective. Um, yeah, my sort of okay. perspective. Other people may yeah. have, you know, other thoughts uh, on it, yeah. but I think it is, it is a question that is relevant and one that we need to ask, especially in light of the racial tension that we are seeing.
0: Um,
1: and if South Africa is to move forward, we need to find a way to
0: move forward. Dr. Simone Peters, thank you very much for coming through this evening. Really, really appreciate that you could take time out to speak to us. Uh, and uh, yeah, all of the best with uh, the work that you continue to do. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure to have you here on uh, Metro FM Talk this evening.
1: Thank you so much for having me this evening.
0: That there was Dr. Simone Peters, researcher and PhD graduate at uh, the University of Cape Town. Uh, did, did some fascinating work uh, there on the gendered and racialized experiences of those who self-identify as colored and, of course, uh, some of the uh, issues around identity and community formation uh, in that particular community here in South Africa. Now we know the president uh, was going to speak to us now at half past nine, uh, but Ndiabwan Mingati in those years shift to 9pm, so it uh, seems uh, we're going to be, uh, I guess, anticipating that at 9pm, but uh, would love to hear your voice notes uh, around some of what you expect there. There have been, of course, some suggestions in the rumor mill. Uh, we also did see that resignation by uh, Dr. Zrelin Kizeh. Uh, so that's quite clear that uh, somebody's gonna be filling the berth there. Uh, so do share with us uh, some of your thoughts on who will be occupying what seat and uh, what the musical chairs will mean. Uh, you can send through your voice note on 0791914270. We're gonna take a brief break now And when we come back, we take a look at what's happening at a community level. We'll shift our attention out to KZN, where small-scale sugarcane farmers are asking for economic relief. And we'll also take a look at some of those calls and your voice notes.